What's up, everybody? This is Cortland from NDHackers.com, and you're listening to the ND Hackers podcast. More people than ever are building cool stuff online and making a lot of money in the process. And on this show, I sit down with these ND Hackers to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the strategies they're taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. So I'm here with Drew Riley and Greg Eisenberg, two people who have both been on the ND Hackers podcast. Drew is the founder of Trends.VC. Uh, one of my favorite newsletters, Drew, you cover basically every thinkable market and trend and idea, and you do this like super deep dive breakdown of it, and it's super useful. Uh, Greg is the founder of Late Checkout, and also the co-host of a new podcast called The Room Where It Happens, which is also kind of like a community as well. It's not just a podcast, and Drew's got the same thing going on with his uh, newsletter. So I guess in a way, like all three of us are like media and community and I don't know, I think it'd be interesting just to, to, to riff with you guys on some of these topics. I I think, actually, actually, I shouldn't say I think, I know that Late Checkout pays for Trends.vc. So we're, we're <laughs> customers. You're paying, me too. I'm a paying customer as well. Awesome. Thank you, guys. So I'm curious about you guys' uh, this concept of like an information diet where okay, you got your food diet, you get food from whatever source. Some people are vegetarians, some people eat a lot of meat like me. It's also the information diet, right? Like, where do you get your information from? Where do you guys learn? And I follow you both on Twitter. I, I listen to your podcast, Greg. I read your newsletter, Drew. I'm curious where you guys learn about all the stuff that you, you put out. Because I have my sources, and sometimes I feel like it's lacking. And I want to know where, like, other people who are smart, like, learn about what's going on and keep your ear to the ground. So where do you guys? what's your guys' information diet like? I'll go first. My go-to medium are podcasts. I use a player called uh, Castro. And they just allow you to build cues. So I just go through those cues and I don't stick to one podcast as it falls in the queue. It gets prioritized and I just flow through there. Mm. 3x speed. What do you do while you listen to podcasts? Walk. Yeah, mainly walk. I think that's my secret weapon for research. My favorite medium for uh, Trends VC reports. My information hack is YouTube Premium. Which... Okay. Not many people talk about it, but it's like, I think it's like 10, 12, 90, 10, 12, 13 bucks, something like that. You can watch YouTube without ads. It's amazing. And you can also like basically on your phone, you can pull up a video and just minimize it and listen. And there's just so much amazing content on YouTube. And I know that some people might be listening and, and, and they'll say like, well, like, you know, when I go on YouTube, I, you know, I don't know what to find and it's very difficult and... I hear you, but that all changed for me when I just set up my subscriptions and just like Twitter, right? Like if you, Twitter is invaluable if you're not following the right people and the same is true with YouTube. So my information diet is, is really just YouTube premium, which I watch probably an, or watch or listen to an hour to two hours every single day and, and Twitter, just follow the right people um, and you'll get some good stuff. What are you learning on YouTube? Like, cause like, I, I, I'm someone who like, okay, I have YouTube premium, but I literally never watch YouTube. I'm more like Drew. Like I'll listen to a podcast and then I'm like, I'm obsessed with multitasking. So it's like, I want to feel like I'm like doing two things. Like I'll play video games while listening to an audiobook or a podcast or like go for a walk or like a, a drive or something. And I can never find the time to listen to you, to watch YouTube because I sit there and I'm like, I feel like it's taking over like too many of my senses. I'm like, I got to sit down in one spot. And like, if I try to walk somewhere, I'm going to get hit by a car. So like I can't multitask. And so I don't like, I'm never on YouTube and I don't even know like what's good on YouTube. 
but I have a few friends like you who swear by it. So like, what are you, what are you learning on YouTube? So I thought it'd be fun just to open up my YouTube and just share what I'm looking at. So on the home screen, the eight videos that I see, one is a YouTuber by the name of Giancarlo buys tokens where he talks, you know, the title of the video is huge NFT update. And here's what he's buying. Great person to, to basically sift through all the noise in the NFT space. Uh, the next is, uh, I live on an island called Williams Island. And in this island, they do these segments about what's going on on the island. So there's that. The All In podcast. I know that's, you know, a lot of the listeners here know about the All In, but there's just something about seeing. I'm looking at Chamath with like a massive turtleneck. Like, you don't get that. Just <laughs> it's amazing. Rex Orange County, who's a band, it's an in the studio interview. A YouTube creator called Passport Heavy who is an amazing, amazing follow. He goes from country to country. He's a digital nomad. He He's awesome. Talks about great places to stay, internet, that sort of thing. CoffeeZilla, who's a finance YouTuber. And last but not least, Where It Happens. And it's weird. It's a picture of me and Sahil Bloom, which is our podcast for our, on our YouTube channel. Greg also made me think of something when you talked about the importance of seeing someone as you're learning where uh, we have a lot of masterminds on Mondays, and that's become one of my favorite ways to learn, uh, where sometimes you can like solve your own problems by just describing something out loud. Uh, it's sort of like therapy, like AA for entrepreneurs or something. Yeah, I like that you both have like, uh, like you both have these media businesses, but they're both communities. So Greg, like you're, I don't know very much about the community behind like the room where it happens. But like I'm thinking, okay, this is a podcast, you're on YouTube, you're on podcast players, but I go to your website and it's like literally enter your email, join the community that's changing the future of business. And Drew, it's like the same with like trends. You know, I go to your website and it's like, okay, well, enter your email address and subscribe to the newsletter, but you actually have like this, like these community events and rituals like behind it. So maybe like, uh, it's been a while since you guys are both on the podcast. Maybe let's do like a quick update with where you guys are at with your businesses, what's working, what's not. Uh, Greg, let's start with you. What's going on with Late Checkout and with your podcast and community? Uh, so yeah, for those of you who don't know, Late Checkout is a thesis-driven holding company. Our thesis is that community-based products outperform non-community-based products. We own an agency which helps transform companies via community-based products and Web3. We have a studio where we incubate our own stuff and we have a fund where we invest. So we play in this Web3 and community world. And so we create a lot of NFTs, DAOs, that sort of thing. Company, you know, when I came on... Portland, I, I might have, must have been like a year and a half, two years ago when it just started. It was kind of you the know, beginning of the pandemic. I think you were just like about to quit WeWork or something. Yeah, it was a while back. Today we're 50 people, which is wild. And working with some of the biggest brands in the world, incubating cool stuff. The community piece of the pod is, I think we have almost 5,000 members, uh, which is wild because we just launched the pod. And it's just a, it's just, uh, a place where people can talk about what's happening on the pod. And I think you're going to start to see more and more of that where there's this like connection between media, which feels like one way. And then you're going to have places where hopefully the community could participate in some way in the media. Like how do you get to 50, 50 people in your business? Is that just like you guys doing deals, working on projects, getting paid a ton and then like bootstrapping your way up? Or are you like raising money? Cause 50 people is a lot of people. When we first started the business, we had one one offer, you know, it was a five million dollar offer to incubate, to or seed fund, I should say, late checkout, and we were so close to taking it. 
but we didn't. I, I mean, I saw what happened with WeWork and, and what venture capital can do to WeWork and businesses that I was just so turned off of venture capital that I decided not to do it. That doesn't mean that venture capital is evil. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, like we have a venture fund. We invest in companies. We love it. But I, what, it, what it does mean is, you know, it's not right for every business. And I think people need a, to know why they're taking the money. And we really didn't know why we were taking it initially. So how did we get to 50 people was there's a ton of demand for, you know, community-based product, product design work. Obviously, Web3 is really big and, you know, self-funded it. And yeah, I don't know, just sort of compounded. Doing deals, making money. I like the uh, the the scars from WeWork. Because you could have gone the other way. You could have been like, wow, this like Adam Newman guy is like killing it. Visionary, founder, raising billions of dollars. Like maybe I should go that route. <laughs> but you went the, the more humble, I guess, uh, level-headed route, which I respect a lot. Drew, how's trends going? I know the last time you came on, you were like sharing revenue numbers. You're like the ND hacker's ND hacker. Uh, what's new with you? Yeah, we've evolved to focus on different rituals. Uh, I talked about this in my pen tweet thread, but our main rituals are daily standups, uh, which unlock other things like Trends Tribe. Uh, those are random one-on-ones where you get matched with other people on Mondays and then ultimately masterminds after a 100-day streak. And you talked about like what's working well, uh, what's not working so well. So those elements are working well. What we could probably improve is figure out a way to, I guess, scale stand-up participation. There seems to be like a natural asymptote where the number of participants, a uh, fairly high number, but it will stay the same until someone drops out and then new people will come in and fill that quota. So there's something weird going on there that we could stand to improve. How does a stand-up work? So like a typical stand-up in like a tech company is like, you get all your engineers together in the morning, you know, you go through, everybody says like what they're working on, what they did yesterday, what their main blocker is. It's real quick. It's just a way for everybody to check in. How does that work online with like a community? Yeah. So ours, they're asynchronous where we just have a format. People have modified the format. You can do this. Some people add their 2022 goals, but the basic format is what did you do yesterday? What do you plan to do today? And what do you need help with? I add, what am I reading right now? Some people add, again, their 2022 goals and other things. So you can remix it as long as it has those three core elements. And what's the point of doing this? Like, I know you talked about like rituals. Part of it is like, okay, you come every day, right? And what media company slash community doesn't want your members to have like an actual productive, valuable reason to come back every single day? Like a daily stand-up does that. Like what, are there any other purposes to having this? Yeah, what I've noticed is that uh, if I talk about the persona of most people in stand-ups, they're solo entrepreneurs where they don't necessarily have people to bounce uh, ideas off of. We also have people with large teams, but they may not have people that they consider peers or they would like openly share as much as they would share in stand-ups. I think something else that makes it a more vulnerable place uh, is it's not open to the web. It's still behind this wall. So we have very vulnerable moments that I think would change. Uh, if you were sort of put on the stage. Yeah, it's an issue I have with indie hackers. It's like everything on indie hackers is completely public. The whole community is 100% public. I've even thought about doing like direct messages, but doing them public <laughs> where you can see what people are messaging each other just because it's been transparency has been the ethos of the site. And the downside to that is like, all right, like, do you really want to be vulnerable when every single person can see you as sort of a permanent record? People could take a screenshot, you know, maybe not. And maybe when it comes to business, people are fine not being vulnerable or maybe they want to be more vulnerable, but that's like something that like, I don't even have that option because my whole 
like in the same way that like Greg's thesis is community, like my thesis is like transparency and openness and the fact that like people benefit from everything being out in the open. So that's like a, a big way I think indie hackers differs from, from trends maybe. Yeah, I think a big upside or everything's a double-edged sword there is that the user-generated content and the SEO where I often send a lot of people uh, to my post on indie hackers around product time where like I drop those tips there. So you get mm-hmm. that SEO discoverability, but you just have to ask is, you know, is it a net positive or net negative based on the mission? Yeah. Yeah. I have a tactical question. I don't know if this is where you want to take Cortland, but yeah, yeah. I'm just, I, this is a great opportunity for me just to chat with Drew a little bit. I'm on, I'm on the website and I'm just curious, like, how do you think about pricing your different products? Yeah, we've played with pricing uh, a good amount. And one thing I noticed, I think the most recent change, I guess two most recent changes, we lowered the prices and then we raised them again, uh, just because there is like a support element. And I noticed that we got a lot of, if I say like low quality support requests, there weren't necessarily things that we needed to change. But when we re-raised prices, those issues went out the window. So we're trying to optimize for accessibility, but yeah, it just seems like lower prices led to more support issues there. Yeah. Try having a free community where no one pays anything. <laughs> I don't env- don't envy you. I don't even check my email. I literally don't. <laughs> you have any suggestions, Greg? Looking at the page? Yeah, let me let me pull it up here. So, you know, you basically have three options. You have reports only for $20 billed annually. You have reports and community for 25 build annually, and then you have reports, community, and masterminds for 100 build annually. The first is like, I had a cocktail last night that was $24. I mean, granted, it was in Miami Beach or whatever, and but like with tip and tax and everything, <laughs> it was $24. So I think that you know, there's this, there's so much talk around inflation. And, you know, I think we're seeing we're seeing the prices of, of obviously goods go up. I think a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs aren't thinking about raising their prices enough. So I feel like the 20, I don't know, this is like completely like, I, I don't know much about your business, although I am a subscriber. So hopefully you don't raise it too much. <laughs> but I think uh, if that was $30 or $40, I wouldn't buy it in, 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 in an eyelash, I think is the expression. The other thing is on the high high end, the hundred dollars annually, I just feel like so what is that? It's like eight a month, is that what that is? Oh, well, I think it's a hundred dollars a month, but billed annually. Billed annually. Yeah. So So it's like twelve hundred. I was just thinking like where does the role of physical events you know play into that? Like I would pay more than a hundred if you told me like, you know, there were certain physical events that I had access to. This is a very interesting point because it takes us in this direction of North Star Metrics where a question I have for you guys, well, I'll give a little bit of backstory. The first, we just hit our two-year anniversary and it was very confusing build, building Trends VC where we had the media element, we had the community element, and we didn't have a North Star metric. So we were a bit all over the place. Uh, and our North Star metric right now is around engaged email subscribers. So that's why that came up when you talked about physical events, Greg, because I'm b- bouncing everything off of this question of how does that impact that North Star metric? But I'm curious, being on the media side and the community side, what's the North Star, like the leading domino for you guys? Like the one thing if handled makes everything else easier. For, for me with ND Hackers, it's, it's just straight up like 
how many thoughtful discussions are people starting? There's a bunch of posts on Indie Hackers. There's hundreds of posts a day. There's hundreds of people joining a day. But like a post on Indie Hackers does not matter if it doesn't spawn a thoughtful discussion. If somebody says something into the void, I can't put it on the homepage. It doesn't help other people. Nobody wants to read it. No one's talking. It doesn't matter. So it's not just the number of posts. It's the number of like thoughtful discussions that result. And what's kind of cool about having a sort of community forum is that the number of posts that are going to be on the homepage is the same no matter how big the community gets, right? If we had 10,000 people, a million people, guess what? The homepage is still the same size, kind of like Reddit. And so you just get an ever-increasing quality because you're taking a smaller and smaller percentage of the top tier. And so what we really just need is like things to sort of increase that number and everything else flows from there. If there's more thoughtful discussions, there's more comments, there's more founders meeting each other, there's more traffic to the homepage, there's more email subscribers, like everything kind of flows from that one metric. And so that's kind of how we decided on that with ND Hackers. I like that you're you're focused, Drew, on on that one North Star metric. I feel like it's so easy to say that, but actually like focus on two or three or four metrics. I wish more more people would do it. And it's it's also inspirational to myself as well for for us, like just focusing more on one metric. The other thing is every product is you know, is kind of a snowflake in a lot of ways, or every company is a snowflake. So I think that you know, what works for Drew might not work for Cortland, might not work for some of our stuff. So I think it's important that builders basically, you know, are honest with themselves and, 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 and say like, is this the one metric? Is this the one metric basically? I think you're in an interesting spot, Greg, cause it's like, you know, like some ways like a venture capitalist or an investor, like they just see company after company after company after company. And like, in some ways they get like better insight than like a founder who's just like heads down doing one thing for like five years. And you like, okay, like you're not like, you have your community with your podcast, but you also have like late checkout, which is like kind of like an agency and like a holding company. So you're like seeing community after community, like how do the, are there patterns that you see in the metrics? Like, is it like super crucial to have a North Star metric? And when you think about like the most successful communities or like, are they organized like that? Are they that metrics driven? The, The truth is the most successful communities often are not metrics driven, at least in the early stage. They're just trying to host a cool party at the end of the day or cool event is the best way to think about it. You know, later when they're maturing, like, and they're trying to optimize the levers, that's when identifying these metrics are really, really important. But when you're trying to find community market fit, I think it's okay to just be thinking about the intangibles. So I think, so that's just one point. The other common metric that we see in community-based products or communities that work a lot is is the stickiness index, which is DAU over or over MAU, daily active user over monthly active user. And when you see a high uh, percentage of that ratio, what it tells you is that you've basically created a daily ritual, which is really what you're trying to orient yourself around. How do you create something that gives so much value that people want to come back every day? So if I had to pick one metric for community-based products, I think it would be DAU over MAU. With the caveat that, that there are tons of products that just juice that number with like hacks, push right. notifications, emails. So I encourage builders and creators to, to don't cheat, you know, you know, when you're cheating. <laughs> cheating is what you do when you're trying to raise, like you're in Y Combinator and you're trying to like raise a lot of money on demo day and you know, it's going to come down to this graph. But if you're like, and indie hackers. If you're like trying to generate revenue, it doesn't make any sense to like juice the metric. What's the point? There's no one. To, there's no one to lie to. You. There's no one to present to you. Like you're just not going to make money because everybody's churning. 
it might feel good in the moment. It's very like fast food, you know, like yeah. I enjoy eating fast food in the moment. But, <laughs> you know, ask me how I'm feeling about chicken nuggets two hours after I eat the chicken nuggets. Not great, right? It's not, not the most fulfilling thing. I like that uh, DAU over MAU. Uh, the answer may be don't cheat. Uh, but have you found any way to account for scale there uh, to make sure like that the scale, the number of users are going up? Or is that even important to track when you're looking at this metric? I mean, it is important because I think all of us in this room are, we love seeing growth. Like that's fun to see growth. The thing with DAU over MAU is it doesn't tell you the volume. It just tells you the engagement. I mean, I know we, we said focus on one metric, but it is important to... <laughs> you know, make sure that in your top of the funnel, you're still like increasing that as well. I mean, if you have a sticky community, you just like, that's, that's the hard part, right? Yeah. Sticky, sticky, anything. That's the hard, like you have got like a, a bowl that holds water and it's not leaking water. Like then you can find anything to increase the top of the funnel. You can do anything to bring people in and it's going to work. I think the hard part is having a sticky community, especially around something like entrepreneurship or like something that's like really specific because it's easy to just stop coming back right it's easy to for people to be like you know what i got all the value trends was awesome indie hackers was great you know but peace i'm out because <laughs> i got all the value and i'm like i don't need this anymore and people graduate so i think that's like one of the hardest things is like building a sticky community and often like when you do have a super sticky community that grows you just end up turning into like a social network and there's not that many successful social networks so it's pretty rare that that happens let's talk about uh crypto for a bit while we're talking about chasing shiny new things and eating chicken nuggets. Last time I talked to both of you, like none of us were talking about crypto really. Like <laughs> late checkout was just communities, right? Trends did not have uh, an NFT for every episode. And then like suddenly over the last year and a half, it's just like crypto is the hot shit. Everyone's into crypto. I'm buying crypto. I don't even know what I'm doing. How is this factoring into like you guys, how do you guys think about community? You know, I mean, obviously like DAOs are huge. This whole idea that like the businesses and communities of the future are going to be these like autonomous, decentralized organizations that they're not even going to have a checking account or they're not even going to be incorporated is crazy but i haven't really dabbled in it both of you guys are dabbling in nfts and DAOs. Like, how's it going yeah it's going good a few months ago we launched metatrends which uh is an nft that grants you access to the community so we're sort of in this like web 2.5 space where you can still sign up with fiat or you can grab this NFT and get access. And uh, we're also doing a report on token-based communities right now, or token-gated communities, where I think the biggest sort of takeaway so far is what it does to incentives, where I think I heard you mention a uh, like spamming issue with indie hackers in the past. And I'm just thinking about a situation or scenario where if we had tokens instead, we're incentivized to be less extractive to actually bring value to the community because what that token represents is access to this community you want the value of that access to go up over time so i think that's one uh big change that token uh gated communities could bring yeah i'm looking at your meta trends nft collection uh, correct me if i'm wrong so the way it works is basically it's like this like generative art series like all the art for each nft is like computer generated and every time you release a new issue of trends there's an nft associated with it and then I can basically buy that NFT. And if I do, I get access to your community rather than having to pay like the monthly subscription fee. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you get lifetime access and that's to the reports plus community tier. And the generative nature of it is pretty interesting because it's like this uh, force directed graph. It's not moving because that's a static image. 
uh, but it's actually based on the topics that are related to it. So there are like these white dots that are nodes that connect to other related topics. And that's how each image is generated. And why would I buy an NFT? Is it because I think like I'm going to hold on to this and it's going to be worth like a lot more later and I can sell it? Or is it because it's like, oh, this is cheaper than actually paying like the monthly subscription? Like what's the rationale behind like a buyer? It will be different for different communities. For us, this is the only lifetime option that we have. So if you just want like a simple payment and to be done with it. And of course, there's also that resale option. If you, you know, think that this is sort of a phase or uh, this is a good fit right now, you do have that resale value uh, if you want to give up and sell access later. I don't think, you know, one of the realizations I have is, well, first of all, Drew, you mentioned, you know, Web 2.5. Like, I feel like, you know, what you said was, you know, we're doing this sort of Web 2.5 thing. People could like use their credit card basically to buy NFTs, stuff like that. And like, that's the, that's the, the real Web 3 is Web 2.5, basically. I'm interested in what you just said. Um, and, and, I, and I think that's what's going to hit mainstream adoption, you know, going and like buying Ethereum and like setting up a wallet and like seed phrase and all these things like it's, it's really difficult right now. So until we figure out ways to onboard people in a really in just like an accessible and convenient way, like we're not going to we're not going to be there. But, to your, you know, to answer the question, Cortland, like how do I think about communities in crypto? I just think about incentives. I think about tokens. I think about upside, sharing upside in bootstrapping networks. I think about how this is just unprecedented. Like crypto is going to have, I think it's like 4 billion users by 2030. Like 4 billion, like getting 4 billion people in like, what are we, 2022 now? Eight year, you know, like that's insane. How do you like as a practitioner though, like take part of it? Because it reminds me, like I remember when I moved to uh, San Francisco, and I was thinking, like, should I start a startup? Should I work for somebody? And, like, every startup that tried to hire you, they would just talk about how big and awesome they are. So, like, we just raised so much money from these VCs. We're changing the world, blah, blah, blah. And I was just thinking, like, yeah, but, like, what's my salary going to be? <laughs> I don't care about all your stuff. Like, how does this affect me? And I feel the same way about crypto sometimes. Where it's like, okay, crypto is undeniably huge. It's undeniably popular. But, like, as an individual builder... How do I take advantage of like that growth? Is it better to like, should I be building crypto and indie hackers? Should I be just investing in coins? And I think like the two of you are like the two people I know who like are actively working on these like communities that existed well before you were super interested in Web3 and are incorporating it. So I'm just curious, like, is it like, how much does it help? Well, the first thing that people should do is, and you don't need to be a crypto believer. You just need to be crypto curious is participate just just to learn like participate to learn so like join a DAO that speaks to you and like there's bounties in DAOs which will say like hey earn you know earn 50 of the Cortland tokens if you do this thing so go and like accomplish that and like see how you feel buy an NFT in a community that you think is interesting and go join the discord and you might hate the DAO experience and you might hate the NFT community experience, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. I think like the point here is that you've learned how to onboard. You've learned what's the fuss. And now you have a point of view that then you could, you know, let's say Cortland, you're onboard. And now you can be like, Hey, what do I do with indie hackers? If I wanted to make a web three, no, I would never want to do it because it would ruin it for these, 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 these reasons. Or, 
you know what, now I'm really jazzed about it and here's some ways that I can go introduce it. Yeah, you used yourself as an example where you said like, how do I incorporate this in the indie hackers? I think a lot of us in doing this report on token gated communities is bringing this to my attention. Like we're still putting solutions in front of problems where we're thinking, okay, we have this new technology, this new primitive, how can I use this? Instead of thinking like, okay, I have this problem. How does this technology, this primitive help me out? Uh, so I would be hesitant if you have an existing company, uh, perhaps the way to get involved in is just dollar cost average in. But if you're looking for something new to build, I would go back to what I talk about a lot where just what can you do for a long time, right? Like our, is your medium media? Is it code? A lot of people need smart contract developers. Uh, a lot of us don't understand what an NFT or a DAO is, even though we think we do. Uh, so you could, you know, get in on the education side, but I would put a lot of emphasis on that longevity piece because we talk about it a lot, but most of the benefits of compounding come, come later. I think that's such a good point. If there's like one mental model that I would like always want to have as a founder, it's basically like put the problem first because it's so easy to get obsessed with the solution, especially like in the digital world. Like in the real life, okay, the problem is kind of obvious. Like there's a, you know, a river or something, we can't cross it. It's like, that's the problem. All the solutions come after that. But in digital space, like you don't necessarily see what the problem is. And it's easy to be like, ooh, look at this new technology. Let me jam this in. And I think one of the, my favorite things about your newsletter, Drew, is like the way that you frame every issue is kind of like, okay, like, like I just opened up your newsletter on DAOs, on Trends.VC. And it's like, why it matters. And then you have like the problem and then you have the solution. And the solution is like the topic. So it's DAOs in this issue. And the problem that you say the DAOs solve is that groups face geographical, political, and operational coordination challenges. It's just hard to organize a group, basically. And so DAOs are a way to, I guess, align everybody's interests and organize everybody to reach these shared goals in a way that's like easier and better than ever, right? And so, you know, when I'm thinking about like what you're doing with trends, like maybe that doesn't apply. Like maybe there's a reason why trends is not a DAO. Because <laughs> is, there, is there like a shared community goal with trends? Like is there like one thing where everybody needs to organize and like accomplish some mission? Like maybe, maybe not, right? And if not, then is there any reason for it to be a DAO? Yeah, that, that's a great point. I also think that when we talk about DAOs, just like tooling and the ecosystem is very undeveloped right now where it's even interesting seeing people try to solve problems in like the physical space with DAOs. Like People should do it. They should definitely try it. And we'll just like learn on their, their dime. But we have a lot of like, I guess, governance issues with digitally native DAOs before we even bring in this other physical aspect and fight this like multi-front war. Uh, so I'm definitely like kicking a can on it. It's not out of the question, but it's like a year, four or five thing for us and whether trends becomes a DAO just because I see the tooling and the governance issues that others are facing right now. What do you guys think is like the most likely thing to be impactful five, 10 years from now? Like the, the metaverse. So you got like Mark Zuckerberg betting on the metaverse, lots of companies like building VC software, uh, VR software and, and hardware. And you got like web three and like maybe two of the main components of web three besides just DeFi is like DAOs and NFTs. So out of those three things, like DAOs, NFTs and the metaverse, what do you guys think is going to have like true staying power? It's kind of like picking your favorite kid situation. I would say uh, NFTs, like the idea that you have property rights, digital property rights, just unlock so much. One vote cast for NFTs. Drew, what's, what's your vote? I'm going to preface this. So I sort of have this framework that I use for predictions versus hot takes, which we recently added. 
uh, prediction is like evidence-based. It's sort of like this thesis where I could tell you, like, here are early examples. This is why I believe it. Hot takes is like, don't ask me for examples. This is just how I feel. It's more <laughs> religious. <laughs> so what I'm about to say is definitely a hot take. I feel like, I guess this is like the decade of crypto, so NFTs, DAOs. We'll see that. The metaverse will continue to evolve. And then I feel like the metaverse will really gain traction like after the 2030s where we may not even have a life like in real life, like we may mostly live, we're just getting our food like pumped into our veins and we're living in this. The Matrix style, just <laughs> plugged into the machine. Yeah, that's like 2030 to 2040, but hot take, like I said. <laughs> okay. I'm on the side of like maybe NFTs, most immediately useful thing, digital property, you could buy it, you could sell it. Once more websites and organizations start implementing NFTs, it just, it becomes like this virtuous cycle. Where like the more NFTs that you can buy that are actually useful, the more like you want to buy NFTs, the more you want to sell NFTs. And so I think it's very hard to imagine that cycle kind of unwinding. But then also like my hot take version is also the metaverse, which I just think is cool. Like I've loved VR since I was a kid. I love this idea that we're living like these increasingly digital lives. We already spend so much time like on our phones, on computer screens. Why not spend it in like a better, you know, more, I guess, high fidelity digital world? So the metaverse makes a lot of sense to me, but it just... It feels like the metaverse won't really come into being until the digital world is more useful. And things like DAOs and NFTs and, and cryptocurrencies, like I think, make the digital world more useful. I also feel like we should just take a second to like acknowledge what a cool time it is to be a builder. Because there was a moment where it was kind of getting a little boring. 2017, 2019, like I feel like that was the era, era where like... Facebook and Google were owning like everything hard to like bootstrap social networks, mobile. A lot of the use cases on mobile had already been like played out. It just, there was obviously a lot of opportunity, but it did feel like a lot of stuff had already been built and it was really difficult to break in versus now, which feels like there's so much digital transformation, crypto, NFTs, like it's the wild west. And and I think builders and and hackers thrive in the wild west. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about something totally different. Let's talk about personal rituals. It's inspired by something that you do, Drew. That's awesome. And my brother does a lot of this stuff too. My brother like wakes up every day. He's got like a mantra. He reads. He's just like a very effective robot person sometimes, and it works. It's really good. I don't have any daily rituals like that. But Drew, you've got a cool one. I don't know if you still do it, but it's called like one hundred rules. And I'm on your website right now. It's like drewriley.com slash 100rules2020. And it's cool. It's literally just a list of 100 insights, rules. And you say that these rules emerged from like years of refining and transferring notes. And the goal is not for you to remember these notes and remember all of these rules. But you just read through the list every morning with like some problem in mind. Like whatever you're trying to focus on uh, that morning, you have that in mind. You read through the rules. And sometimes you come you come across a rule that's like super good, you know, an insight that really applies that you might not have thought of otherwise. So I think that's like, that's brilliant. Yeah, I still do that every night right before I plan my day for the next day. I read through those and it's a good filtering process when I transfer journals, that friction of like, if you still believe this, you have to copy it over. And if you don't, you won't go through that effort of copying it over. So it's like this endless uh, filtering process there. And just recently, because for years I meditated every morning, I still do that, but I'm trying to experiment with like making other habits more automatic. So I just added like a daily walk to that where if I just stay in the house all day, the day feels really short, uh, not in as good of a mood. 
So just trying right. to make that automatic, like meditation has been automatic for years. Yeah, I like that. Get out of the house. You can tell I've been out of the house because I'm not wearing my robe right now. <laughs> and if you see me on the podcast with my robe, that means I've not left the house today. Huge, huge insight with with the staying at home days getting shorter. Never been able to make that observation myself, but it's completely like that. Like when you said that, I was like, wow, he's 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 100 percent correct. The cool thing about like this list is that like we spend so much time reading and learning. Like all of us have cons- like the three of us have consumed like more information probably in the last like month or two than like the average person did in a lifetime like a hundred years ago. And it's like impossible to retain all that, right? It just like it comes in, you hear a brilliant insight, it just goes away. And it's like how do I use that, right? Or if you're listening to a podcast, like how do you use the stuff you listen to on a podcast? And so I'm a huge fan of checklists. And like your 100 rules list is basically a checklist, Drew, where like you can catalog all the best information you've ever seen, put it in one place, and you can make sure that doesn't go to waste because every day you're running through it and seeing how like seeing how it applies. And like that's such an easy trick, an easy tactic to just get smarter without having to have like a super good memory or without having to like have like, you know, really internalize all this all this stuff to the point where it's just automatic for you. Yeah, it's interesting how often like if we don't do that, we forget something that could have helped us out for years just because we forgot it. So you have to relearn that lesson. I know, I know like nobody who does this though, right? Like all of us are just like forgetting awesome lessons that we learned a long time ago and then we're not reusing them and we're making the same mistakes. Yeah. I mean, even me where I have that habit where I've done that every day, probably since 2013 or however long. And I still often forget in the middle of the day to focus on what I control, uh, where like Twitter is a professional at getting us off track or involved in things or, you know, that we don't necessarily exert control over, but it's like, what do you control? Maybe you can have some influence over that situation, but scoping that out makes it more actionable instead of just feeling this vague sense of dread, you know, about something. Yeah. Greg, do you have any rituals, habits, or any sort of like planning, New Year's resolutions type stuff that you use to sort of organize how you be a productive human? So I have a notes file called words and a notes file called ideas and it's it's on my phone but it's basically words are words that i come across i could be like walking and i see like a particular word that i think just connects with me i'll just write it down and i've got this like massive list of words that i use for projects that i just like think are really cool so like field trip, motor lodge, June. Some of it is is silly and dumb, whatever, but some of it turns out to be really helpful when you're coming up with ideas for projects. And especially someone like me who's like, you know, we're an agency and an incubator, so we're constantly coming up with names for things. So, and I, and I think that names, picking a great name for a product is underrated super underrated and I, I think constraints are underrated too because it's like if you if you if you go into a product and you're like okay you know i don't know what was one like field trip and like you just like arbitrarily make that a constraint like that's like i've got to work this concept of field trip into this project you're instantly going to have a bunch of creative ideas that almost no one has right you're like what is the essence of a field trip like what is it like what does it feel like to go on a field trip like what are the colors associated with the field like what is the energy like you're just going to bring a bunch of creative energy to that that others wouldn't and it's it's like it's so simple that it seems dumb but it's actually super smart i don't know where i'd be without it certainly 
have worse names for things. And, and the <laughs> other thing is ideas. And this idea, you know, we all have ideas and, and you know, they come to us in the, in the, in the darnest places in the weirdest times, but just writing them down as one liners and then making a habit to maybe put one idea in a one pager every single month as a task for yourself, even if you don't end up doing it, I think it's a great process for, for getting really good at, at, at coming up with clear products. I also have some, uh, ideas i like to share because i have the same habit greg i love it okay why don't we just jump straight to that then drew hit me with an idea like what's an idea you got <laughs> all right i hope someone makes this here i have a uh, crypto sci-fi i feel like a lot of people that are against crypto right now is because they we talked about this earlier but like nfts are primitives just a piece of technology we think of it as like these status symbols but it could be an insurance contract a passport driver's license and it's hard for us to imagine this because we don't have like stories of imagined use cases. It's like we don't have a lot of crypto sci-fi right now. So I would love more books, more novels around crypto. I'll just jump around. There's a habit list I've used forever and it's getting progressively worse. I just don't think they're maintaining it. So I want to pay someone to uh, basically make a no-code version of it that I could customize and control. Uh, there are like a couple of Obsidian plugins that I would pay for. Anything else? A couple of YouTube channel ideas. I'm looking for one that's uh, that's that's PC. <laughs> <laughs> let, let, let's come back to that because I actually don't have any PC uh, YouTube <laughs> <laughs> channel ideas. Here's one. Uh, so we recently started sponsorships, and I wish there was a way for us to uh, like a tool for us to just easily like auction off sponsorship spots. So this would be like a arbitrary auction tool. Very simple. You could take a percentage of it. I don't care. But yeah, we just, the slot is booked. No one else can book that slot. Uh, and we get this like capital efficiency out of it where we know exactly what an ad slot is worth instead of like throwing the dart, hitting the number and like losing any potential upside there. Love it. It's a lot of ideas. What's your favorite on that list? Crypto sci-fi. That's number one. And that's because of this uh, transcription process I talk about. I could tell it's the one I've had for the longest because it's at the top. Everything else above it has fallen off uh, between journals. Greg, hit us with uh, one or two of your ideas. So my last idea on this, or my latest idea on this note, on this note file is Rainbow, the crypto wallet, but for kids. So just a okay. whole experience around onboarding children into the concept of cryptocurrencies. <laughs> And I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, that's a bad idea to like, you know, crypto is bad enough for adults. Why would you go to kids? I think financial literacy needs to be taught early, early, early age. And I think we, you know, as long as it's a safe environment and it's fun, I think it would be great to have more ways for children to learn about crypto concepts. I learned so much about like, I don't know, the world and life by playing games as a kid. Like whether I'm playing like Roller Coaster Tycoon, I'm like raising prices, I'm seeing like fewer people come to my rides and stuff, like charging for popcorn or playing like World of Warcraft. I'm like, you know, 2004, I got 50 people on, uh, 40 people on like a audio call 
over the internet trying to organize like a decentralized group to accomplish a goal. Like I think that kids can do so much stuff that it's harder to do as an adult because you don't take the time to do it. So I like that idea of like a kind of a safe crypto place for kids. I also like ideas that sound kind of bad because no one else is going to try them, right? Like you'll be in the space where no one's trying because it just seems risky and kind of scary. And like worst case scenario, you learn a lot, right? But like no one else is there. Like you kind of avoid the competition because everyone's like, everyone wants to do like the safe stuff. You know, like half the ideas on my ideas list are like really safe and obvious, you know, just like a better X, Y, Z, you know, like shorter. One of the ideas on my list is like shorter books. Not that crazy of an idea. For whatever reason, people keep writing these long ass books and we have all this technology to have shorter books. I just want shorter books. I want an app or something where I can discover shorter books. I want to be able to read them in audio form. I want to pay less money for them. And I want maybe a platform to incentivize authors to write shorter books because I think the publishing industry just incentivizes people to write really long books. So that might be the idea that like I'm the most excited about that I'm never going to do. I hope somebody does it so I can benefit as a reader. Yeah, along the vein of bad ideas, I had this idea of the COVID cookbook uh, where the grocery stores were often out of ingredients. Can't find a lot of stuff at the grocery store. Very simple recipes. The COVID cookbook, terrible idea, but <laughs> I, c- I couldn't let it go. It's, it's great, great name. It would be trending. Yeah, it would be the, the alliterations on point. All right. Well, cool. I feel like that's a good stopping point. I always do this at the end of uh, Andy Hacker's episodes. I ask you guys for one piece of advice. Maybe, Drew, this is a good uh, time for you to pull a rule or two off of your 100 rules list. Um, but what's your guys' advice for Andy Hackers out there who are just getting started, who are trying to figure out an idea to work on and, you know, just something personal from your life? It doesn't have to be the world's best advice that everybody should follow, but just something specific that you like that others should know about. Yeah, on the advice front, I would say like joining Indie Hackers was a turning point for me. Uh, so it's not about a particular idea. It's just about community and specifically going to physical meetups in Atlanta where I just met people and I got like this ambient inspiration where you can have great ideas, you can have bad ideas, but it's just something about physically being around people and being inspired that way. It's so, like I didn't start seriously building and getting traction and feedback until I joined uh, a community. I love it. Love the Indie Hacker shout out. And I agree. I can't wait for COVID to be more over so we can get like the meetups going back. Cause we had hundreds of meetups going on a month at some point and it dropped to like zero at peak COVID. I think for me, I would say the ideas are already out there on places like subreddits, YouTube comments, discords, like in these communities, you can often find really, really interesting pain points and from that distill that into interesting startup ideas so the ideas are out there you just might not be looking for them love it get your hands dirty get in the real world meet people face to face it's super inspirational and uh the ideas are already out there i love that point a lot because i think it's so easy to get stuck in our own heads like what should we work on what problems people have but the internet's kind of like an open book quiz like there's so much out there where you can see people complaining and see people like bending over backwards to post stories and help on forums and different things. And so you can kind of just go steal their ideas and just do it better. Greg, Drew, thanks a bunch for coming on. Do you want to tell listeners where they can go to find out more about what you're working on with Late Checkout and with Trends? Yeah, to check out Trends VC, just go to trends.vc. And uh, Late Checkout is latecheckout.studio or follow me on Twitter at Greg Eisenberg. All right. Thanks, guys.